Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Well, we certainly want to thank uh, the young guys from our church for the uh, presentation of the uh, Lego video and uh, got to tell the story. And uh, so you kind of know the the whole story from start to finish that we want to cover today. So we're going to go back and uh, look at some of the specifics of it and also make application uh, for our lives. But let's pray. Fathers, we open your word and continue to study and uh, consider your word. We thank you for the story presented to us, the worship music today. And we thank you that we can continue to provide uh, ministry and service even during these times in this way. So uh, bless our time together now in Christ's name. Amen. So we've already had one uh, story of Peter in jail. We have three uh, jail accounts in this early part of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 16 today for this account. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn in your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 16. And we're going to consider this story of Paul and Silas in prison. And uh, we're going to do it in light of, you know, I've been thinking about, of course, we hear so much today, the you know, the words stay at home, quarantine, shut in, you know, whatever you want to say. And uh, as we saw in this account today, we have a, a, a one night of apparently uh, shut in, lockdown, quarantine of Paul and Silas in prison. And the last two months, our church has been in lockdown. We haven't been able to meet and uh, get together as, as we all are looking forward to doing. Um, but I guess I'd rather trade two months of uh, home <laughs> quarantine and lockdown for one night what they went through uh, in jail and the beating. But we can learn from this as I want to make some application today. Uh, we're considering uh, life and how God helps us in challenging times, but also how we continue to minister and serve and spread God's word during challenging and difficult times. So let's go back to Acts chapter 16. And uh, we, like I said, we just saw the story presented in its entirety. And just to remind you that this is, this is Paul's uh, journey after the Jerusalem Council. And they have gone back out to, uh, to visit uh, churches. They have gone to establish churches. And as he goes into Macedonia, he goes into what we, we could say really into Europe when he crosses from Turkey into uh, Macedonia area. And uh, the, the first convert in Europe, the first convert is this woman, Lydia. And they're at uh, down by the water, by the riverside, because evidently they didn't have a house of prayer, but the women met down there. And she becomes the first convert. And then we're going to see in this account uh, the next uh, people that become part of this early church that Paul writes to later in the epistle to the Philippians. This is the church at Philippi. He's traveling with Silas. And as you read earlier in the chapter... Timothy and Luke also are with him. In fact, it is interesting in chapter 16 and verse 11, you will notice from, well, earlier in the chapter, we see Timothy in earlier part of chapter 16, we see Timothy joining. Timothy's his mother was Jewish, but his father was a Gentile, was Greek, which means he would have been, he would have been influenced by his mother from the scriptures, but he would have had to adopt the religion of his father. Uh, he probably looked and uh, was, to all practical purposes, seemed to be a Greek, but, uh, but his mother was Jewish, and so he had that background. And then we see in uh, verse 11 from Troas, I want you to notice, we put out to sea. And for the first time we see this, uh, we instead of they, 
or them, or just naming the names. We have this first person plural, we. And so we see that Luke is also traveling with uh, Paul and Silas during this time. Those seem to be the four main uh, people uh, involved in this ministry. We we saw the story in a presentation of this uh, slave girl who followed Paul shouting, uh, which was in, it's an interesting story, isn't it? It'd be a whole uh, study and sermon in itself. Uh, why this the she's demon possessed and and uh, and why she would be shouting out, "These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved," and she kept doing this. And to the point that it aggravated Paul so much, he finally turns to her and he said, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. It's interesting that earlier when it talks about that she had this spirit, it actually in the Greek, it's, it's a python spirit. That's the word user, pythonian, uh, python spirit. And this would be the idea of this, the serpent figure that guarded the gates, of the temple to Apollo, Apollos. And, um, and so, this python spirit, and they would have understood that, is what uh, she is. She has in her. She's a fortune teller. She's making a lot of money. Why was it? Why did Paul turn to her and 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 stop her? Why didn't he let her preach that, that they're telling the way to be saved? Well, it aggravated him. It was interfering with his work, and it might have been too that maybe the Satan was using this to somehow look make it look like the the message of the gospel was somehow connected to. Uh, fortune telling and the occult and, and Paula had enough of this and he did and, and it left her and this this girl um, I want to suggest to you that given the stories in the gospels when this happened that at that moment the spirit left her I'm assuming she maybe became part of a belief, the group that believed in Jesus Christ as well as with Lydia because uh, this would be consistent with the gospel stories when when, when the Lord did this with demons and spirits and so we see that as the story goes on, and of course that, that you'll notice when these these men uh, they're losing their income. That's what they're concerned about. This girl makes money for them, and so as it goes on, and they're going to cause Paul trouble, and they want to get rid of them. You'll notice when it says in verse twenty, they brought them before the magistrates and said, "These men are Jews, and throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice." There's this latent anti-Semitism in the Roman world. You notice that it's Paul and Silas, who are Jews, who are thrown in prison. Luke is not, and neither is Timothy, even though he is half Jewish. But he he probably looked and dressed, you know, appeared more as a Gentile than a Jew. It is interesting. It's just Paul and Silas are the ones who are accused. And there's this latent anti-Semitism. These men are Jews. And what they are doing is they are causing trouble by advocating worship of a, a new sect or branch of uh, Judaism that is against the Roman Empire because it is not legal. It, it, it had to, you know, the religions were, were okayed by the Roman government and they, as long as they, uh, as we mentioned before, as long as they worshiped uh, Caesar, which the Jews were exempt from. And so they, they cast this as a threat against the Roman government, just like they did with Jesus and the apostles in Acts as well. And so Paul and Silas, but I want you to notice too that the magistrates, it said, ordered them to be stripped and beaten after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. And then the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them, in verse 24, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their their feet to to the blocks. 
It's interesting. It's, I, want just, I want you to just remember this as we think about this account. These men, Paul and Silas, they were beaten severely. This was not a mild punishment. You know, later on, when Paul writes in his epistles and, and reminds people that three times he was beaten with rods and flogged. He had been left for dead at one time. He talks about all the sufferings for the gospel that he encountered. These men were severely beaten and whipped and, and, and flogged, if you will, and beaten with rods. And the result would be their backs would have been would have been bleeding with all these open sores. They normally a person would go into shock with the loss of blood and the pain. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it make sense? And then they are thrown into the inner cell of the prison. Now listen, these these Roman cells and Roman dungeons in this case, these these were not sterile. <laughs> these were not clean. These men with their open, bleeding, lacerated backs and beaten and, and maybe on the verge of shock if they weren't already, were thrown into this dirty, um, unsanitary uh, hole and put, in, and put in stocks and left there. It wouldn't be unusual for people to die in these situations. Of course, they come away with severe and life-threatening infections. I mean, just think of the situation these men are in and how desperate this is. This is the scene for Paul and Silas. They have just helped convert in, in Philippi these, these first these women uh, to the Christian faith. And now here they are in the inner jail. And it's jailer who is, who is, who is put over them and told, you put them and keep them safe as far in as you can in this jail. It's kind of interesting, the reputation of jailers. I, I have a, <clears throat> one of the commentaries here had a quote from Philo. Philo was a, uh, during his first century time, Philo was a well-known Jewish philosopher and writer, very well-known, just like Josephus. Josephus and Philo are the two primary Jewish authorities from that time you hear quoted so much. He knew this world very well. And here's what he says about the jailers in the old world in the first century. Everyone knows well how jailers are filled with inhumanity and savagery. For by nature they are unmerciful, and by practice they are trained daily toward fierceness as to become wild beasts. They see, say, and do nothing good, not even by chance, but instead the most violent and the most cruel things. Jailers, therefore, spend time with robbers, thieves, burglars, the wanton, the violent, the corruptors, murderers, adulterers, and the sacrilegious. And from each of these they draw and collect depravity, producing from that diverse blend a single maxim of thoroughly abominable evil. This was the reputation of jailers in this first century that Philo refers to. This jailer is in charge of Paul and Silas who have been beaten and bleeding, lacerated and in prison. About midnight, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. It would be really wonderful to just to be there, I guess, to hear what, what exactly, what was the tone of this? What, was, what were the prayers? Were they prayers of, of, of thankfulness for God's provision? Were they prayers of anguish like we see in the Psalms, the times when David prays to God and pours out his life because of what he's going through? Were they words like Job? Who, who, who prayed to, who, who asked God, why are you doing this? They're praying. They're praying in Hebrew, I'm sure. And, 
we don't know, but they are, they are, they, they are, of all the things that they could be doing, they certainly could be complaining. This is what we signed up for. Remember, Paul was told by Ananias, when God told Ananias, I'm going to show him all things he must suffer for this ministry of going to the Gentile world. And Silas joined on with this. And, and they could have been complaining. They could have been resigning. They could have said, we're done. This is not nowhere. But they are praying to God. We don't know, but it has to fall in that category, I'm sure, where the Apostle Paul later, as we've mentioned before in Romans 8, tells us there are times that we, we pray with words that cannot be uttered, but the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and translates them, if you will, because he knows the mind of God. He knows the hearts and our spirits. They're praying out to God and they're singing hymns. That's what's interesting. They're singing hymns. Most likely, I don't know for sure, we aren't told. Most likely the content of these hymns would be the Hebrew Psalms. This was the Hebrews hymn book. These men grew up with these hymns. They sang them on the way to Jerusalem for the festivals. They sang them at home. Uh, you know, the Hallel Psalms, the Hallelujah Psalms for the pilgrimage during Passover and the other times they went to Jerusalem. And these psalms that as the Jesus knew, and when, when the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, it says the last thing he did with his disciples, they sang a hymn, one of the Hallel hymns, and they went out to, to, the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I, I'm assuming these men are singing the hymns of the Old Testament. They may have hymns to the, to the glory of Christ as well. We know in Ephesians and Colossians where he talks about singing songs and hymns and teaching one another. And there may have been early Christian hymns as well that these, these men had already been a part of. This is pretty early in the story, second missionary journey. This is their first incursion into, into Europe, if you will. Um, but there may have been early Christian hymns as well. So they're singing, I would imagine in Hebrew, singing these psalms and, and praying to God and, and, and focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ as well at midnight. And the prisoners are listening to them. Maybe they were singing to their gods as well. Who knows what they were praying. And about midnight, as you saw in the, the picture, right, or in, the, in the Lego scene, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake, the foundation of the prison were shaken, the doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought they'd all left, because that was the law. As a, as a Roman prison, as a prison guard, you would be, you would suffer the same punishment as your prisoners if you let them go. We don't know who else was in that jail with these guys. Were, were there murderers who were going to be executed, maybe crucified, that he was in charge of? They're in that jail as well. He knew he would suffer a horrible fate if there were any of those prisoners. So he was going to commit suicide. He was going to kill himself. And of course, Paul shouts out and says, don't do that. We're all here. Isn't it interesting? I thought about this. Why didn't those other prisoners leave? If the, if the chains fell off and the doors opened and they could, and they could leave, right? I mean, why didn't they, why didn't they leave? The prison doors flew open. They could leave. But Paul says, we're all here. He didn't say just me and Silas. He says, we're all here. And you get the, the impression here, nobody left that prison. It's interesting. You gotta remember, in the old world, these people were very religious. Atheism, agnosticism, that was not normal in the old world. They all had their gods. They were very religious. Remember we mentioned before, Paul going to Athens and saying, I notice all your temples and all your, your worship 
these people, all your idols, I want to tell you about the one true God. This was, I mean, remember the story of Job? Excuse me, the story of, of Jonah. When Jonah was in the boat and that horrible storm came up and they knew something unusual was happening and they prayed to their gods and they cast lots. And when Jonah won a lot, they said, what have you done to offend your God? What, what's this? What have you, and then when he said, throw me in the water, they said, we're not about to do that. We're not going to make your God even more angry. And they wouldn't do it until he insisted. Why? These people were very religious. And I wonder if these other prisoners were just awestruck that here, here these two men were praying to God and, and asking for help and singing to him. And their God did this all of a sudden in response and shook this jail with the earthquake and miraculously they're all free. They were probably all just stunned and in fright. They aren't about to offend this God either. And they won't do anything Paul and Silas don't do. I think that's probably what's going on. They all just stayed there. And Paul says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. It's okay. And that jailer came in. He called for the lights and he fell down in this wonderful statement that we still hold on to today. This is the heart and soul of the gospel message. This is, he says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that interesting? Here's this, why would he ask that? Of all things, why would he say, what must I do to be saved? He must have been listening. Whatever the content of those prayers and those hymns, they were, they were praying and, 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 and reminding of God's salvation. Remember the, the, the girl who started this, started this whole thing. These men are telling you how to be saved and that message had gone around and this jailer probably had heard that as well and and this was the whole thing they were talking these men are telling you how to be saved and then paul and silas are praying and singing in this terrible situation and and now he, he says okay what do i have to be to, what do i have to do to be saved what do i have to do to be saved and it's interesting that that's the common thing what do i have to do to be saved that's the same thing someone will ask today. Well, what are you saved? You, will you go to heaven? Well, I, I think I will. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I try to be good. What do I do to be saved? And look what Paul says. They replied, Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved and your household. And that's the same message we have today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And anyone else who hears that and believes as well. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says they spoke the word of the Lord to them. They, they, they took them and explained more. They taught them. They taught them that. And, 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 and it says, and to all those in their house. And as you saw the story, it, it's this, this jailer takes them home. I mean, think of this is really fascinating. You stop and think about what's going on here. Is this jailer lost his mind? I mean, he's, he, what about the other prisoners? Who repaired the doors? But what happened to the rest of them? Who locked them back up again? He, he's so awestruck by this, by this message. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they, and they tell him the gospel. And, and it says to him, verse 33, at that hour of the night, they started at midnight. So it's probably during that hour of 12 to 1 a.m. in our clock. At that hour of the night, <clears throat> the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. Well, he must have lived next to the prison because he's, I mean, think of this. 
He was told to keep these men in the inner jail so that they didn't dare get out. He is so overcome with, with this message of God's grace and salvation because it says in the next verse, he was filled with joy because he came to believe in God. He and his whole family. He was so overcome with this joy and this release. This, if he's anything like the description I read you from Philo of what jailers were like. I mean, think of the change in his life and his whole family. He took them home. He fed them. He washed their, he washed their wounds and cleaned them. They were baptized. They all came together. They had a meal together. What is he thinking? <laughs> what, what is he risking? He's just so overcome with joy. It's just what really amazes me about this story. When I think about this, what, he, what this man did. And to risk this, to take them home and meet his family. And his whole family hears the message. And they all become converted. And I'm sure became part of this nucleus of this church at Philippi. As we, as we finished the story, we saw the very end of it. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the other brothers and sisters there. And encouraged them. So this is the nucleus of this church at Philippi. Lydia, I think the slave girl. Others and their families and their acquaintances, this jailer and his family, they become the nucleus of this church at Philippi. Well, he must have taken them back to the jail. That's the other thing that's interesting. Because as you, as we, we presented with the Lego story earlier, we saw that the next day the word came to the jailer, these men can go now. The magistrates, the magistrates in verse 36 ordered you and Silas be released. Now you can go, leave, leave, go in peace. He must have taken them to his house, tended to their needs, heard the gospel, shared a meal, rejoiced with them, and took them back to jail, put them back in jail, I guess, because the next day they can leave. And he comes and says, you, you can leave now. You can leave now. And God, you, your prayers have been answered. God miraculously intervened. And they weren't, they weren't going to stay there. They, they could leave now. But of course, as for Paul and Silas says, they beat us publicly and without a trial. We are Roman citizens. And they threw us in the prison. They can come and apologize and they can dismiss us. Let them come themselves. And they did. And because you got to remember these, these, these two men were Jews. It was not normal for them to be Roman citizens. But they both were. Paul and Silas were both were. They had freedom of travel. They had protection of the Roman government. They had a right to a trial. And it was illegal to do what was done to them. And those magistrates and officials could pay a heavy price for this if they wanted, if Paul and Silas wanted to press charges, we could say, and bring this to the attention to the next levels up. This was serious. They did come when they found out they were Roman citizens. And they did come and, and apologized, I'm sure. And, and they were, and they were escorted, uh, they, they, verse 39, they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting, please leave this city. And that's when they were free then to go and meet with this church that was founded at Philippi. It's interesting. Paul and Silas weren't vindictive. They didn't try to get these magistrates in trouble. I mean, they've been beaten without cause, severely beaten. They've been thrown in the inner, but what was the result? The result was out of this worst of possible scenarios, worst of possible scenarios, really short of death for these two 
uh, evangelists, these two servants of God, what happens? This whole family comes to Christ. What about the other prisoners? Wouldn't it make sense that they viewed what happened and they heard that message as well? Wouldn't it make sense that some of them probably came to Christ as well? And this church at Philippi was founded, and these people were an important part of this church at Philippi. It's a wonderful account. It's wonderful how Paul and to me how Paul and Silas respond in this situation. They are hurting bad, but they are praying and they are singing hymns. There's beautiful hymns, I'm sure, from the Psalms and any Christian hymns that maybe were beginning to to, to be part of their worship and their life. They were praying to God. They had been horribly abused, but God had worked in this situation. And, and as, of course, you know, and it's interesting, when you go to the book of Philippians, remember, this is the church that from there grew and, and was founded, that Paul writes one of his prison epistles from another time in prison, during the end of, at the end of the book of Acts, where he is in prison again, under house arrest, but he's in prison. And it's in the, and it's the book of Philipp, in the book of Philippians, that, that Paul says, for example, this, Verse 12 of chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served. This is his new his imprisonment again. Five years, four and a half years imprisonment. Caesarea, trip to Rome and Rome. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else, I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And as you go throughout the book of Philippians, one of the key themes in the book of Philippians is joy. And you'll see this throughout, throughout the epistle. You'll see this theme of joy. And so as we consider this account today, uh, if you talk about God's help in challenging times. How do we respond to challenging times? I'll have to admit, I do my fair share of complaining. This is really hard. It's really hard for our church family. As I have a chance to talk to some of you, it's really hard. We are missing one another. We are missing being together. We are really missing fellowshipping and sharing in the things that we normally do all of our children's ministries and all the things that had to come to an end so quickly and all the things down the road that are still up in the air. And it's a really hard time physically for those who have suffered this coronavirus. And that's, that's the really hard, hard thing. It's a hard, in a lot of ways, it's just, it's, it's been a hard time. How do we respond? What did Paul and Silas do? They did what, what, what we do in hard times. We pray to God. We pour our hearts out to God. We ask for his help. We thank him for what he's provided for us. I saw a guy down in Edmonds yesterday as we were driving by, and uh, he was just standing there in the corner down in a major intersection down here in the north end with the, with the sign holding up something along the lines of, you don't need to have fear, have faith in Jesus. He's smiling and holding the sign up. Some people might think, well, what's that going to accomplish? Who's going to go, hey, God bless him. Who knows? I know people whose lives have been changed by all of a sudden looking at a sign and thinking, that's right. Who would have thought prayers and hymns from the inner, inner sanctum of a prison would change anybody? How do we respond in this, in these times? Uh, hope, I hope people that we are with, in, however we are, whether it's just telephone, 
talking to neighbors, communication, whatever it is, our own families, are they hearing prayers and hymns? I don't mean necessarily here to sing. Oh, that's fine too. But are they hearing expressions of God's goodness, God's provision, and faith that God will see us through this and that we have a hope in our salvation through Jesus Christ? It's really important that during this time that we remember our testimony of hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will see us through this. He will see us through everything in life. He already knows everything that's going to happen. He knows how it's going to work out. And he will see us through. And the second thing I want to close with is this. Let's, you know, I, I think one of the dangers, I've been a Christian since I was a young boy. And I know from my own experience, one of the dangers that we live in, we live with as, as Christians, is we can lose that cutting edge of, of understanding and being reminded of the joy of salvation. The joy of the hope of eternal life. The joy of knowing God our Father, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that dwells within the security of salvation. The joy of knowing our lives are in his hands. The joy of knowing forgiveness for sins and we will not have to be punished for them because Christ was punished for our sins. You know, we can, we can lose that cutting edge of, of remembering the joy. And this, this story really, I just, the thing that really kind of, I, I got out of this story this time. Of course, I've read this many times and preached on it. But this is really the first time I've really considered this jailer and his family. And it says the joy that they had. He was, I mean, like I said, everything else went out the window. He invited Paul and Silas home, took him into his house. He risked everything. He risked his everything. Took care of them. Celebrated with them. Rejoiced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brand new believers. and just, I mean, something, his life was so radically changed in those few moments that the joy just overcame him. And I just want to leave us with that today. The joy of the Christian faith. And this, this friends, this nothing changes. Nothing changes. And as we know, and as we've seen in every lesson we've talked about, uh, hope in challenging times, the wonderful truth, God is at work. God is at work changing lives, whether we're meeting here at church or not, whether we're leaving our homes much or not, God is at work changing lives. And we give thanks for that. And we rejoice in that. And I rejoice that you can share this time with us today. And let's continue to rejoice that the Lord, we can sing and praise God and worship him in all situations. And we can have joy in knowing lives are passing from death into life even as we share in this time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We just want to stop once again and as a humble people, thank you for forgiveness for sins, for the hope of the resurrection, for the presence of the Holy Spirit, with the bond we have with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And Father, we thank you so much for how much you love us. In Christ our Savior's name, we pray together. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for sharing the service with us. And uh, we will see you again next week. And uh, we'll continue to uh, share in the hope of the gospel. Thank you.